Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning, everybody. Let's have a good look at you first. All the beautiful ones say, I. <laughs> Oh, isn't it nice that the weather's changing? Hey, is it just me? I wish they would switch the heaters off. I'm boiling on this stage. And my shirt is so short, I can't take my jersey off. <clears throat> anyway, that was a hint. Someone turn the heaters off. Please, I'm boiling. <laughs> so Lainey did such a fantastic job last week wrapping up Exodus. Wasn't it amazing? How to end this series. Boom. Mic drop. Off she goes. Um, I've got something on my heart that I think God is challenging us as leaders of this church, us as leaders in this church, us as just saints in His body, us as a collective, us as individuals. Let's start it like this. Do you know and do you believe that Jesus is returning for His church? And depending on where you stand, we're either very close to the rapture, <laughs> if that's what you believe or we in the last seconds of the last minutes of the last hours of the last days of the last weeks of the last months in the last year. Have you heard that? Yeah. But he's returning. Of this, I am certain. He will return. One of the images that we are described up in the, as in the Bible is we are described as a, as a bride, church of God. We've preached on that. Whenever we touch on relationships, we do husband and wife. We talk about us as a bride and how the husbands and the men struggle to be fancy and doled up for a bridegroom. But nonetheless, we are described as a bride. He also says he's returning for a spotless, unblemished, a pure bride. He's going to marry us one day. It's going to be a ceremony. Now, if I had to take joy, joy's turning four in October. Do I have a bride? Now ask me which day, it's October. If I bring her up to this stage and I say, guys, what good news, Joy is getting married. In Walsh is her husband, 35 to 40. Come, let's have a feast, it's gonna be glorious. Joy's getting married. Told up, dressed up like a bride, beautiful dress, flowers in her hair. How many of you will attend the ceremony to be? I will be a witness to this. It's going to be great. We're going to celebrate this. This child's getting married. Who of you are going to go, are you, have you lost your mind? She's four. Now I come and I say, okay, well, now that you have protested so much, you can marry Ava. She's eight. Double the age of joy. And all of a sudden, there's an outcry on Facebook because it's child marriages. What? You can't do that? That child can't get married. Why? Why? She's a child. Now I bring the next one in. Grace. 13? 14? We look at her life and sometimes we marvel at the maturity at her age. But sometimes we just laugh because it's not there. No disrespect, she's 14. But she looks like a woman. You understand, my love? 
Stand up quickly. You look particularly lovely today, my baby. Really beautiful. She's in the beginning of becoming an incredible young woman of God. She comes onto stage and you might say, well, she looks like a bride. At least she is shaped like one. But she's 40. She's 14. I feel like sometimes we are doled up like a bride, but we are kids. We have the shape of a bride. And we have the potential to be the most incredible bride for our groom. But sadly, the maturity is lacking. I'm not even going to take this further than LRC. Today as a church, and I'm part of this body, not above it, not beyond it, not talking at it, talking to it. We find ourselves in a state of immaturity. Those, the opposite of maturity is immaturity. What does maturity mean? It means fully developed to the state of what it needs to be, grown. The Bible uses the word manhood. He has achieved manhood. I think it's interchangeable. It's not gender specific. Womanhood. To describe this. I was shocked at my own childish behavior in the last two weeks. Appalled. Convicted. Standing before God. You know, like the opposite is, is, is immaturity. But I want to say the opposite of maturity is childishness. So now I've got the right age bride, the mature bride, but the husband comes with shorts and a skateboard. Maybe one of those portable, help me someone, the game things. Come on, don't think it's a box. PSP, 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 there we go. Playing. How do you have a job? Ah, oh, you know, I just, I deliver newspapers every now and again when there's a, this thing. He's 35. He wants to marry a fully grown, responsible woman. We're not going to call him mature, are we? We're going to say that person should not be trusted with himself, let alone another person. He is childish. Now, childishness should not be mistaken with childlikeness. Because the Bible applauds childlikeness. Childlikeness at the very essence speaks of identity, knowing whose you are. In Hebrews 6, 1, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's childlikeness. You have been born like an infant to God in a new life. You are restored. Now, let us not hold on to that state. The thing is, we hold on to that state, don't we? We stamp our little feet. We are childish in our behavior. 
I just want to give you a tip. If you're ever dealing with a childish person, first get them to the point where they are childlike in God. Then the conversation can go somewhere. But until they realize who they are, you will just go around in circles and they will keep playing PSP. But childishness is at the very core, has at the very core, egocentrism. Psychologists describe it that it's the inability to differentiate between self and others. More specifically, it is the inability to untangle subjective schemas from objective reality and an inability to understand or assume any perspective other than one's own. Anybody know people like that? And the man in the mirror? Michael Jackson. For those that are wondering, I'm starting with a man in the mirror. <laughs> Start with the man in the mirror. Look at yourself. I acted like an egotistical child at points in this past week. For those that are wondering about my salvation, I just broke the speed limit. That was all. <clears throat> But there's confusion in the world about this, maturity. Because the world takes maturity, single-faceted, one-dimensional, and they say, when you reach the age of majority, Terry, what is it, 18? 18. You are mature. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> I want to say, look at the Bible and understand that we have to be mature emotionally, mature spiritually. Not just mature physically. I've got this thing that I go through with a couple of guys that I walk with and my children. And I will say to them, let's rate your emotional maturity out of four. One being, you are all over the place. You're like that silly little movie where joy falls off or something. It's like this emotional. There's like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I'm angry at you. No, I love you. You're the best thing ever. For being, you are a degree of mastery where you are. You can recognize your emotions. You can express your emotions. You can speak to your emotions. That's a four. I take it out of four so that they can't pick the middle, which is, you know, if you say out of five, they all go three. And then everyone has a, a definition. What is a two? What is a three? What is a four? If I do that with physical maturity, yeah. I'm able to kick a ball, I'm, I'm fit, I do get exercise in. Well, what about your spiritual maturity? Walking in a, a relationship with God, hearing His voice, reading His word, pursuing Him in prayer, know what worship is about. If that's a four, where are you? Oh, I'm definitely a four. Really? Why is there so much dust on your Bible? I'm reading on my phone. confusion about maturity in this world and we are succumbing to it people we are letting it infiltrate the kingdom instead of the kingdom taking it by force and saying wake up grow up psychologists will explain to you that there is such synergy with the emotions and the spiritual and the physical side this is why when people experience inappropriate things at, at, at inappropriate ages, intellectually and, and, 
and, and developmental stages that they cannot get past it sometimes. And they need help. They're linked. Yet, how can a six-year-old accept Jesus? They're not mature. I want to say, how did some 40-year-olds accept Jesus? They are so immature. We are so immature. The other thing that I think when it comes to maturity in the church is we've taken this thing of emancipation. You know, emancipation of a minor means that child takes away the right from the parent to govern it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't cases for that. Don't, don't hear me wrong. The point I'm trying to make is we take away the natural order of God being our dad and having authority in our lives as a parent because now we've been emancipated. We can govern ourselves. The maturity of relationships is not equal to the end of a relationship, people. When I become mature in God, I don't outgrow Him. Molise didn't stop calling Louis dad when she got 21. The nature of the relationship might change. The intensity of the governing might change. But that's ultimately what maturity is. Attaining a stage and a level of self-governance. Not perfection. <laughs> but yet we say, oh no, I'm a mature Christian now. I can sit back. I read my Bible. I pray. I worship. Life is good. And we become those mature Jesus. Mm, that one's right. Mm. When you eat it, it's mature. It's supposed to taste like that. Oh, line off, but it's mature. Only the French run to it. Mature Christian sitting there. That very statement should drive us all nuts. That we as mature Christians are just sitting here. Just sitting. Because... I have outgrown it. I have become mature. Oh my, how we miss it. A mature child understands that the parent is wiser than he could ever be because of life experience. The mature Christian knows that God is more required every day than he was when you were just born as an infant. Oh. Signs of maturity. Colossians 4 verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in prayer. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God.
Signs of maturity is that you know the will of God for your life. I was confronted this week with, but now I know the will of God, and then what? What? Because we speak like mature people about this is His will for my life, but we speak about it. Like God just said to you, just sit and, and hear what the will is for your life. Your will for your life is just to hear what your will is for your life. The will for your life is just to, it's a circular reference. You just sit. But it's a sign of maturity. Thank God if we're at that point. Thank God that we as elders can say that the purpose of this church is to see a diverse people rise up into diverse communities using the diverse gifts and talents to serve the communities and expand the kingdom by displaying His sincere love for all. We got it. And then what? I think if God was a parent here, He would just take me and tap me and say, buddy, and then what? Second sign of maturity, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20. Brothers, brothers, let's personalize this. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants. Not children, be infants. Be innocent in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Be developed in your reasoning. Be developed in your discernment. I, I like to watch series. Confession time. I do. I find it as an escapism. That's the, the short term. I can't even tell you that I analyze the acting or the storyline or the arc or the character development. I just escape sometimes. I also read books, try and read um, something that takes my mind of the busyness of, of my particular life. Woke up on Tuesday morning after watching a little bit of series uh, the Monday evening on my wife's birthday. I all of a sudden realized I didn't do something I was supposed to do. The father that shouts at the children for trading off pleasure for responsibility or responsibility for pleasure is not so innocent in his thoughts after all. I was also going to go and watch a movie that Tuesday evening. <laughs> got an invite from a friend who used to be in the church and got us... Um, Marvelously planted somewhere else, and he's doing fantastically well. And he said, Let's go and watch Mission Impossible. I really want to see it. I get to church, and I can't shake this thing of God saying to me, What is going on with you? I want to stand like a big dad and discipline your children, and you are acting like a child. You know better than this, my boy. I have an expectation of you to rise above this. Much. Besides the point that I miss spending time with my wife, she fell asleep on my lap on her birthday, watching series. How bad is that time?
Be innocent in your mind. I phoned him up and I said, my dude, I'm so sorry. I've stuffed up. I was supposed to do something and I didn't. I used all my time last night for my own pleasure. And unfortunately, now I have to cancel. I will not be watching Mission Impossible in the cinema. Done. Why am I saying this? I can see I'll make the hot call. Jermaine, you have to cut that out of the, the recording. <laughs> no! Because God requires us to make hard calls. Be mature in your thinking. Understand when he's bringing correction and discernment. It's a sign of maturity. There were many other areas where I couldn't redeem it. It was just so far beyond redemption. I just have to look back in shame and laugh at it. That's, we're all there. Point one, you know the will of God. Point two, is your thinking becoming mature in line with what God thinks? The third one I want to call understanding your impact. Now we're going to look at this a couple of weeks, maturity, just so that you know. If today's uncomfortable, I'm pretty sure the next couple of Sundays are also going to be uncomfortable. Make your decisions, but choose wisely. This one is Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. And we're going to look at this in more details because it's just when they start speaking about the apostle, the prophet, the priest, uh, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. Got it. It says, rather speaking the truth in love. I think sometimes we should just love each other, each other enough to speak the truth. Let's start there. Just putting it out there. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body is joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. He is our head. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You and you. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, becomes part of his body. You are a joint in that body. Now, I don't know if that body looks particularly like our bodies, but it might resemble mine. But there is a function for you in that body. A function. Not just the space. I think if I call Sean up and I say, come and explain to us, is there anything in the body that's completely useless and has no purpose? I, I, I don't know enough about medicine, but I'm hoping you will validate my point. Okay, correct. Cool. We are part of a body. There is one head. None other. Jesus Christ. And let us say that when he directs, shame on you if you do not pursue and go where he sends you. But it's much more comfortable. I can guarantee you that. But it is far less, far less fulfilling and rewarding. In 1 Peter 1, it says that, uh, 13, 15, you don't have to go there. I'll just paraphrase. It says, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to say possibly this grace is not just grace for forgiveness, but this grace is for certain tasks that you have to do. And may I go as far as to say that in this body at this time, if you are not doing what God has told you to do, we are limping along. Understand your impact. You have an impact. Understand there's a gap. If you're not there, you have an impact. I think we sometimes vacillate in this egotistical sense of where we find ourselves between overestimating our importance and underestimating our importance. I want to say, strip yourself of any thoughts of importance and make the one who is your governing head the importance. And you will not get caught up and tangled up in this I am nothing, I am everything. Understand your impact. Who here has ever led a home group? I don't want to put a home group either. Who has prepped uh, your heart out on a Tuesday and there's no one? Come on, guys. You have an impact. You are missed. I don't want to come to prayer meeting because everybody just prays on the mic and I just have to stand there. Guys, these are no jokes. This is, these are reasons that people use. It's pitiful, but that's what we do. I don't feel like going to prayer meeting. I'll pray at home. Do not neglect the gatherings. Take a look around. Look at the seat next to you. We always have to balance this thing because we have such an erratic attendance at this, at this congregation. Because when do we put out too many chairs and people feel it's empty? When we put out too, too few, then people don't invite friends because then we've reached the 80%. Look at the chair next to you and impact it, man. Invite someone. Not because we want the church to go, because they need Jesus. I want to back out 500 more chairs. Create a gallery. And we're all sitting here in a state of childishness. Point number four. Choosing to live a life of impact. I hope you don't feel insulted that I take you through these kid-friendly understanding of how you have to. If you get to this realization of I have an impact, now what do I do? I've got three aces here. To live a life with impact. My first one is survey the past. Remember where the King of Kings brought you from. You get to that state where you feel too grand. Remember who brought you out. Remember where he found you. I have yet to meet a person that will say to me, oh, oh, I was on the best space in my life when God met me. He was so chuffed to meet me. He said, you got to be in my kingdom. Anybody here? 
promise you, if it wasn't for the cross, where would I be? I shudder to think, people. Survey the past. Want to live a life with impact? Survey the past. I'm not telling you to turn around and stare at it and analyze it. I'm saying survey. Anybody ever seen a surveyor's diagram? Much less detail, hey. Broad lines. You look at a property map. There are the boundary lines. There are the boundary lines. Do not get caught up in the detail. Survey and remember where he brought you from. The second S. Come on, you can guess what it is. Scoping the future. And live a life with impact. Consider your actions and the consequences. Scope it well. Think twice. Get counsel. Ask somebody with a diverse perspective to yours, a different one. Why do you think if I do this, what's going to happen? Scope the future. Live with intention for the future. I meet with people. And they tell me, I'm going to achieve this in God. I'm going to achieve this in God. I'm going to achieve this in God. I've been called to be this. I've been called to be this. When? 13 years ago. So what have you done? Ah, that's my potential. When are you going to get there? There's my potential. What are you going to do to get there? That's my potential. I've been called to do that. Well, start doing it for heaven's sake. I've got the potential to earn thousands and hundreds and millions. But I don't. For well, the king of the kingdom. Gave up my spot to CEO of a company for the king of the kingdom. I can't just sit at home and think, I've got the potential to earn this much money. Yes. Ooh, I can earn a lot of money. I can have a comfortable life. Come on, what are you going to say to me? Don't be a drip. Then do it. You know, we are so comfortable with... Let me not get into the next one. Scope the future and plan for it with intentionality. The 3.3. It's an S about the present. And it stands for? Saturday. No man. Savoring and seizing the present. The Saturday comment is about how many of us live Monday to Friday just to get to Saturday. Because we think, oh, that is life. When I don't have responsibilities, that is life. When I can sleep until 12 or 1 o'clock, that is life. That's my present. Seize the present. Another thing I hear so often is, yeah, comment and criticism from the sideline. Mature Christians that sit here and analyze every word that is being said, how it's been said, how's the voice done, what is being, what scripture was used, was it in context, wasn't it? Well done. Well done. Our preachers, we're never going to be the best in the world. But by George, I promise you, we pursue his spirit. 
and you will do yourself well to open your heart and receive what he wants to speak through these donkeys. Seize them. You sit on the sideline and you spectate instead of getting involved and participate. I want to say once you have participated and you've broken your ankle kicking a ball, then you can tell me, I've played football. I've been part of the game. I'm in it to win it. This little um, movie that my, my, my babies watch is the um, Pixie Hollow Games. I've done spin-offs of the Tinkerbell and this one is about the garden fairy. And the garden fairies don't want to participate in the, in the Pixie Hollow Games, which is like the Olympic Games. And the one says, I don't want to do it. I'm going to get dirty because it's a, a mud race. And somebody says, you're a garden fairy. Who's afraid of mud? And she says, ironic, isn't it? And they stand on the side and they applaud. And until she gets stuck in and gets herself muddy and dirty, things change in her. The world sees it. I don't know what it is that makes us Christians so scared to seize the moment. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to accept Jesus. I can't do that. Somebody says, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you need somebody. I'll pray for you. Seize the moment. Live in the reality, not the dream, not the potential. The wonder of God is as you take your first step in Him, your potential, His potential meets you to reveal your potential for the now. Romans 8 verse 19 says, I don't know why, but I've heard this one quote for the last two weeks. Eh? Love, Lainey, how long? <laughs> 8, 19. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We are so comfortable with that. Because, oh, one day when he returns, we're going to be revealed as sons and daughters of God. I want to say that revealing happens when you choose to take the moment, to seize it and say, I will arrive as a child of God in this moment. I know who I am because he calls me son. He calls me daughter. The son of God will be revealed. This, this talks about us rising up, seizing the moment and saying, I can bring the presence of the Holy One into the presence of who I am with. Reveal Him every day. I've got this thing where um, I've been very challenged. My, my personality and my nature is sometimes abrasive. Like sandpaper, I've been described. One-on-one. -on -one. I'm a little rough. Don't let my eloquence fool you. I can be a little abrasive. I can tackle a conversation before we've even gone past the awkwardness and take it to the awkwardness <laughs> quite quickly. I have no issue with that. I, I, I actually quite enjoy that. It's my character. Because of me living out there in that way, and, and let me tell you, it's because of a conviction. I, I walk around with this thing like God said to me, who's going to challenge people 
because it seems like the world is just pandering to whatever is going on. So I've, heard, I've learned in the past through my brothers and my sisters, they have chipped away at it and I'm far, less more, or far more socially acceptable. But, <sighs> that is still something. But people think because that is one of my natural proclivities, my stances, that um, they can comment on that and it won't hurt my feelings. Because I can have a direct conversation. Oh, we can just be ruthless with you and tell you that we actually don't like you. It still hurts, people. I can just take it, it but it still hurts. But, and you can't say that to me because, oh, that's just your style. That's just who you are. Sweet. Then what about your style that doesn't like confrontation? So, so th that's just okay. So you get preference because you are timid and shy. What I've come to realize in God is that when I allow Him to use me in who has made me, in the moment, even though I am abrasive and rough, the offense isn't there. Another observation that I've seen, people that are naturally kind in God, Like, I, I love those people. They are just thoughtful and kind to their very core. I've seen how when they have acted in that gifting that God has given them, out of the moment of God, how it ends up in giving birth to something that is not of God. You might think my point is defending my nature, but it's not. I'm saying if I and you take the gifting that he has given us into the realm of him governing us in the moment, there will be life. There will be beauty and diversity. I've seen how people take their kindness and, and function in that thing that God has given them and it's given birth to affairs seen it. Why did you start it? Oh, just, they, they just needed to know that they are loved. That I was just being kind to them. And it sounds to you like I'm making it up and how can a person think like that? I promise you if the enemy gets hold of your gift and manages to confuse you about it, he will give birth to death through your life. Seize the moment but seize it with God. And I'll give you six quick points. Wrap up. That decides. They all start with a D. Haha. <laughs> decide to live with impact. Number two, decide to be sober minded. Look at yourself and know your weaknesses, but also look at yourself and know your strength. Find a person to be accountable on that. The third one, decide, also a D, to engage God on matters more frequently. Number four, decide to minimize frivolous trade-offs. 
Number five. Decide to live with God in the moment. Not just uh, assess it and see where he was after the moment. Number six. Decide to be part of something living. Something that is alive. We can read revival books, people. We can reminisce about the past. And back in the day, when we wrote songs in this church, it's, it's past, it's dead. Right now, we are singing the best songs that we can find. It's alive. We are pursuing God in the moment. It's alive. Seize the moment. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Not forget it, but move on from that point. And go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith towards God. Maturity in Him for the now for the season that we are in. And then we get to the great book of Hadassah that says, but for such a time as this, I have called you. And like Mordecai goes to Esther and says, do not think that he didn't raise you for this time. I want to say to you, LRC, do not think that he didn't raise you for this time. He wants to do wonders through your life. Will you submit like a child? and grow up like a child in the house of God.